if you look at uh, the United Corporations of America right now, um, the conditions, despite, you know, the job numbers that the media puts out there, oh, unemployment at a 50% low and everything is just dandy uh, in, in the United Corporations of America. Everyone is doing fine economically. People, whoever wants a job could go get one. Uh, the stock market is doing wonderful. The propaganda that CNBC puts out there, the propaganda that uh, MSNBC, all that, all of them put out there about this booming economy and we're doing we're doing well. Uh, people on the ground see the reality. So, I mean, you're not, you know, you don't really hear this per se on, in the media, but, you know, income inequality in America is the highest it's been since the Census Bureau started tracking it. Data shows in the, in the midst of the nation's longest economic expansion, the separation between rich and poor is at a five-decade high. Ironically, this is from the Bezos Post, the Amazon Washington Post, and they have a picture of a homeless tent city, which is ironic considering a lot of those homeless tent cities popping up are actually in Seattle, San Francisco, Los Angeles, because of Amazon. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? So this is from September. Income inequality in the U.S. has hit its highest levels since the Census Bureau started tracking it in more than five decades. The gulf is starkest in wealthy regions along both coasts, such as New York, Connecticut, California, Washington, D.C., as well as in areas with widespread poverty like Puerto Rico, Louisiana. Quality was Quality was highest in Utah, Alaska, and Iowa. That's interesting. And while the nation's in the midst of the longest economic expansion, nine states saw spikes in inequality from 2017 to 2018. You got Alabama, which still has the starvation uh, federal uh, minimum wage, $7.25 an hour. Arkansas, California, Kansas, Nebraska, New Hampshire, New Mexico, Texas, and Virginia. Here's this article if you want to read it. I'll put it in the super chat for you. So, you know, they, they keep talking about this booming, booming economy. We have a booming, booming economy. Uh, an economic expansion, they say. However, with with all this expansion, who exactly is the economy expanding for? That's how, that's what you have to ask. Who is the economy expanding for? Is it expanded for you? Then you have uh, basically, I mean, this is from last year, but has much changed. It's probably gotten worse. Common dreams. More evidence that half of Americans are in inner near poverty. Uh, Deniers like Nikki Haley refuse to admit that mass poverty exists in the prosperous nation of America. That would reflect poorly on their capitalist beliefs, but if the skeptics would look at half at the half of America they don't care to see, the stark display of destitution might shock them. The U.S. poverty rate in 2016 was between 12.7 and 14 percent, but the poverty threshold is based on the out outmoded formula from the 1960s. According to the Congressional Research Service, the threshold should be three times higher today. And it could be even higher if the true nature of poverty is considered. And look at this. Wealth is non-existent for the bottom 50%. Census data in 2011 showed that nearly half of Americans were in poverty or considered low income. Since then, average wealth for the poorest 50% has plummeted 27.5%, and average wealth for the poorest 40% virtually zero. This is probably registering with many of you because you're all, not all, but a lot of you are in this uh, boat. Poorest 50% are barely sustained by their incomes. Expenses surging. Retirement? Nah. Then you have recent articles 
U.S. life expectancy, the richest country in the world. Well, there's something terribly wrong. Americans are dying young at alarming rates. Death rates from suicide, drug overdoses, liver disease, and dozens of other causes have been rising over the past decade for young and middle-aged adults, driving down overall life expectancy in the United States for three consecutive years, according to a strikingly bleak study published Tuesday that looked at the past decades of mortality data. The report published in the Journal of the American Medical Association was immediately hailed by outside researchers for its comprehensive treatment of a still enigmatic trend, the reversal of historical patterns in longevity. Yes, so enigmatic, we don't understand how how or why is this happening? Despite spending more on health care than any other country, the U.S. has seen increasing mortality and failing life expectancy for people aged 25 to 64 who should be in the prime of their lives. Increase in midlife mortality rate from 2010 to 2017. Wow. Maine, 20%. Ohio, 20% increase or more, by the way. West Virginia, no connection at all to the coal mines, the opioids crushing West Virginia, 20%. South Dakota, no connection at all. According to all of the media, the Washington Post, the New York Times, all of them, we're doing wonderfully in America here. Unemployment is at an all 50% low of 3.5%. The stock market is soaring. Wages are up. I think they said 3%. Uh, compared to this time last year. Why I bring this up, all of this is going on in America. And you have President Trump. He's cutting 700,000 people. 700,000 Americans are going to lose their food stamps because of Trump and the Trump administration. This is just from this week. Trump administration Wednesday formalized work requirements for recipients of food stamps, a move that will cause hundreds of thousands of people to lose access to the SNAP program of food stamps. Agricultural Secretary Sonny Perdue and Brandon Lips, the Deputy Undersecretary for the USDA's Food, Nutrition, and Consumer Services, spent about 18 minutes, oh, thank you, on a call with reporters, quote, we're taking action to reform, what a reform, our SNAP program, in order to restore the dignity of work to a sizable segment of our population and be respectful of the taxpayers who fund the program. Yes, we just care about these taxpayers who uh, fund the program. We don't care about the taxpayers when we take their money. We steal the poor people. We steal the middle class's money to pay for the tax cuts for our wealthy donors, to pay for the tax cuts for Amazon and Goldman Sachs and Pfizer and Raytheon. We're not worried about the tax cuts when middle class and poor people have to pay because those tax cuts don't pay for themselves, unlike the Republicans say. We're paying for them, us. So Trump, because he doesn't care, he's such a wonderful marketer and he has such a weak opposition, which I'm going to show you, the Democratic Party, that he could keep conning the bulk of his supporters that he is an everyman populist and get away with it while cutting 700,000 people off food stamps. And guess what? The media helps him because instead of the media actually covering the fact that Trump is cutting 700,000 people off their food stamps, what are they covering all day? Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. And I've been on the record. I think Trump is corrupt. I think Trump did try to bribe a foreign leader 
uh, in terms of Ukraine. I think it is scandalous. You ask me, should he be impeached for it? I think he should have been impeached for a lot worse than that. I think there's a lot worse that Trump could be impeached for than what they're trying to impeach him for. But on the record, I do think he should be impeached. Do I think it's the best political strategy? No. I think it's actually helping him if you look at the polls. But I'm not opposed to them trying to impeach. What I am opposed to is the Democrats, like with Russiagate, are trying to use this as the everything. There's nothing else important in America. Trump and and his corruption is the real thing that's bringing us down. And if we just get rid of him, everything will go back to its neoliberal glory of the Democratic Party pre-Trump. Pre-Trump. Yeah. About that. But let's not lose sight. The Republicans are extremists. The stuff that they're doing is evil. Cutting 700,000 people off of food stamps while cutting, increasing the military to an obscene $750 billion. Cutting 700,000 people off of food stamps while you are get, uh, proposing another tax cut for the wealthy. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough giving $1.5 trillion. Trump and his goons in the Republican Party. Now you want to give another tax cut they're proposing. You, Trump, and his goons, and Mitch McConnell, it's not enough, not enough to do the tax cuts, not enough to increase the defense budget. They're also trying to expand right to work. This has not been reported in the media either. Their goal is right to work in all 50 states by 2024. Look it up. I mean, I could go down the list. Just because I don't cover Trump 24-7, doesn't mean we need to lose the ball. So we should keep our eye off the ball. So I say all this because in a normal society, right, if you had a strong opposition party in politics, wouldn't it be a slam dunk not only to beat Donald Trump in 2020, but to clobber, clobber Donald Trump, to embarrass him, to win in a landslide possibly of epic proportions. Shouldn't it be a slam dunk? I mean, income inequality is soaring to record highs in the last five decades. Poverty, nearly half the country is poor. The the people that aren't poor are hanging on for dear life before they fall into poverty. People are working two to three jobs. Homelessness at an all-time high. People rationing their insulin and medication. I could go on. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Shouldn't it be Unbelievably easy to beat this man if you had an actual opposition party interested, genuinely, genuinely interested in beating Donald Trump. Shouldn't it be? Well, apparently not, because I'm getting emails like this from my friends at the DNC. Subject line. I'm not making this up. This is three hours ago. This is not meant to scare you, but I need to tell you the truth about where we're at. Please read this email from beginning to end and then make sure you make your first donation to the DNC. Oh, my God. Jordan, by the way, I'm not a valued member of the DNC. I I haven't given a dime to the DNC, but I am on the email list so I could then mock them. Jordan, as a valued member of our party, I need to level with you. Please do, Tom. Please do. Right now, our party's fundraising is simply not where it needs to be to ensure our goal of winning the White House and important seats across the country. We don't need to match the Republicans dollar for dollar. I said that before, and it remains true. But so does this. You can only out-strategize, out-organize, and out-work so much. Candidly, there comes a point where we risk being overwhelmed 
by Republicans fundraising before the general election even begins. I'm coming to you today while we still have time to turn this thing around. Grassroots supporters like you are going to make or break the 2020 election, taking back the Oval Office from Donald Trump, flipping the Senate, and expanding our House majority are all critical, critical to restoring our democracy and our American values. And, and, and what they mean by this, restoring our democracy and our American values, is simply put, let's put the corruption back to the back rooms. Let's move it back. We don't want it out front. Corruption belongs in the back rooms with the cigar smoke. We must be able to support our candidates and fund the programs that will get us across the finish line. Will you make a $7 donation? We cannot reward Trump's dangerous, immoral, and frankly embarrassing behavior with another four years. The DNC is the only party committee dedicated to electing Democrats at all levels. All right, that's enough. I don't want to make you vomit. So why I read all this to you, and I'm not like breaking news to you necessarily, The reason I'm bringing up all of this is if you have times like this where income inequality is soaring, you have poverty soaring, you have homelessness soaring, you have medical rationing soaring, all of this, not to mention, not to mention, you have from, look at the last decade, 2010, 2011, Occupy Wall Street, 2015, 2016, Bernie Sanders awakens a sleeping giant that is the progressive movement. 2018, that continues uh, in terms of more people coming out to vote, particularly young people. And now Bernie Sanders, I think they're almost, I think they're at 1.5 million volunteers. I think they have close to 4 million total donations. The progressive movement is alive and well and surging. The labor movement is awake for the first time, maybe since the 1980s. So, All of this, you would think the Democratic Party candidates should be crushing Donald Trump, absolutely crushing him. But if you look at the New York Times story from a few weeks ago, Biden, even, even in Michigan, have to win Michigan back. Pennsylvania, he's up three, margin of error. Wisconsin, he's up three, margin of error. Florida, up two, margin of error. Arizona, up five. North Carolina losing to Trump. And by the way, Hillary Clinton head-to-head first Trump. Her numbers were better than this, and she still lost. Bernie, who either doesn't get any media coverage or the media coverage he does get is how terrible he is, how he'll get crushed in the general election. Bernie, plus two, margin of error. Plus one, essentially a tie. Plus two, margin of error. Losing by one. These other states, Trump. Plus three, Warren, excuse me, Trump plus six in Michigan, tied, basically tied to me is losing, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and and not so great numbers. The only difference between Bernie and Biden and Warren, the one on the left, Biden, the media has made love, love, sweet love to him as he's clearly been losing his mental uh, faculties for the last six, six to nine months. Media still propping up Joe Biden like nobody's business. And until recently, Elizabeth Warren has had a honeymoon longer and more intimate than any married couple could enjoy with the media. Still, the man in the middle who has been, an, has had, an, other than Jeremy Corbyn, 
who I think could complain just as much as Bernie Sanders. Can you think of any politician who has had a as as long lasting and consistent and powerful and more money put into suppression campaign than Bernie Sanders? No. Even with all of this, Trump, who is now trying to cut 700,000 people off of food stamps, trying coups in every country under the, under the sun, now, now they're talking about another coup in Nicaragua. Bolivia, America is supporting that coup. Venezuela, I'm sure they'll double down and triple down, try it again next year. Am I, am I forgetting anyone this time? Oh, Philippines, America is supporting that brutal dictator. Donald Trump, if the election were held today, would beat Joe Biden. He would beat Elizabeth Warren. He would crush Mayor Pee Wee Herman, who is my next story, because Jen found something pretty good on Pete, and we're going to show Pete and that empty privilege vessel. The only one I think even has a shot head-to-head. And as a Bernie guy, I'm saying today, if the election were held today, I think it's a toss-up between Trump or Bernie. I think with more time, Bernie will crush him. But if the election were held today, it's a toss-up. I'm just being honest. So why is it that the Democratic Party, why is it that the Democratic Party is not crushing this guy? Why is it that the Democratic Party is sending you emails with subject lines? I don't mean to scare you, but we're broke. We're poor. Please give us money. Why is it that Mayor Pete won't open up his fundraisers? Why? Because like the fossil fuel companies who are just literally, they are scavengering to make this one final last stand. They are, they are, um, what's the phrase? Staking their flag. One last time. They know it's, it's inevitable. Wind, solar, renewable. It's not if, it's when fossil fuels are put out of business. So, so is the Democratic Party also staking its final stand. From Joe Biden to Nancy Pelosi to Chuck Schumer to Dick Durbin to Tom Perez to Neera Tandon to the Center for Phony American Progress to all of them. They understand it's not if, it's when. They are like Game of Thrones. They're in the castle. They see the army coming. Us. And they are just hanging on for dear life. And they would rather risk losing to Donald Trump and giving him another four years than finally, finally closing the door on the banks, on the fossil fuel companies, on the defense contractors, on the uh, pharmaceutical companies, on Silicon Valley. They would rather risk it all And give this madman, Donald Trump, another four years. Because I promise you, if all of these Democratic Party candidates, if the DNC were actually reading polls, listening to the pulse of this country, they would sign on today for Medicare for All. They'd sign on today for Free Public College. They would sign on today for a Green New Deal. They would sign on for all of this shit. If... The corporate media wanted to sustain itself. The corporations that own these companies would be having progressives on, 
labor union workers on, labor leaders on, uh, more African Americans and Latinos on, because their model is slowly fading. That's why we need a status quo in this country. But they're not doing this because they're hanging on for dear life. And I'm sorry, I'm a little excited today and energetic because I see a slowly moving shipwreck. A slowly moving shipwreck. And they see it, they see the iceberg right ahead. They see it. But they're saying, you know what? So what? We'll hit it and our luxury speedboats will come and rescue us. This is what the collective establishment's mindset is. They are willing to go down to Trump rather than give up one cent. They they would rather go down to Trump rather than get rid of the consultants and the consultant class. They'd rather go down to Trump than give up their perches on all the boards, all the think tanks, and give up the revolving door that enriches them. Because I tell you, even though I wouldn't necessarily trust them, if they signed on to all of the policy proposals Bernie Sanders is proposing, the Democratic Party would win in a landslide that we have never, ever seen in this country. And they won't do it. And that's why this, even though this is from a few weeks ago, it's still relevant. This should scare the living hell. Because somebody like Trump with the conditions and, and the economic reality that I just told you, should be trailing by 10 to 15 points right now. But he's not. He is in this thing. And if it were held today, I think it's a toss-up. And I wouldn't be doing my job to tell you otherwise. Mayor Pete is the new Barack Obama. Mayor Pete, frankly, is getting more showering attention and coverage than Barack Obama ever got in 2007 and 2008, if that tells you something. Mayor Pete is, according to the polls, winning in Iowa. I mean, I don't put as much stock in all these polls because as I've reported over and over again, I think a lot of the polls uh, under-sample younger voters and over-sample older voters. I also don't think these polls take into account the fact that a lot of Bernie Sanders, uh, the, the people that Bernie Sanders are trying to attract are a lot of non-voters who have never voted, a lot of young voters that have never voted, and they will not show up in polls because they are not called. But as of right now, that's the real, real clear politics average. You got Buttigieg at 24%, Sanders 18.3%, Warren 17.7%, and Slow Joe at 16.3%, Amy Klobuchar 53 I think she's going to drop out after this next debate. That's my prediction. And Harris is now gone. Yang, 2.7, blah, 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 blah. So, Mayor Pete, he's getting this adoring coverage. But frankly, has the media really investigated this guy? Has the media, who they've been in South Bend, have they at all covered what he's done in South Bend? Yeah, a little bit here and there on his... uh, very, very tense and and not good relationship with the African-American community. But have they covered? What's the economic situation in South Bend? What has he done? Has he lifted people out of poverty? Has Has the job market got better in South Bend? Has he been creative as a mayor? 
what is what has been his policies? Who the heck knows? Have they covered the gentrification there, which, like a lot of other cities, is unprecedented? Has they have they covered? Who was this man before he became a mayor? He's only thirty-seven years old. Should be pretty easy to find his recent history. Went to Harvard, then became a consultant at this vulture capitalist company, McKinsey. Then jumped right into it. He's been trying to get to higher office basically for the last decade. Ran for state treasurer, then mayor. By you know, a couple like twenty minutes after becoming mayor, all wants to be the DNC chair. That didn't work. Now, hey, forget the Senate, forget governor, forget Congress. I'll just jump to president. Talk unfettered ambition like you would never believe. And you might have seen this elsewhere, but I think today what we're going to do is show you, you might have seen this already, but if you haven't, I'm going to read to you just a part of uh, Pete Buttigieg's award-winning college essay. Yes, his college essay from John F. Kennedy Harvard School. This is the prestigious political affairs school in Harvard. Pete Buttigieg's college essay. Was this, excuse, wait a minute. I don't know if this was his, oh, his high school essay, excuse me. So even further back, when he had principles, when he had some integrity. The title, Bernie Sanders. I'm not reading the whole thing. But I'll put it in the super chat so you can read along. So this is who Pete Buttigieg was 19 years ago. So almost two decades ago. Here is who Pete Buttigieg was before he was corrupted. In this new century, there are a daunting number of important issues which are to be confronted if we are going to progress as a nation. Each must be addressed thoroughly and energetically. But in order to accomplish the collective goals of our society, we must first address how we deal with issues. We must re-examine the psychological and political climate of American politics. Ooh, this guy sounds smart. As it stands, our future is at risk due to a troubling tendency towards cynicism among voters and elected officials. The successful resolution of every issue before us depends on the fundamental question of public integrity. Ooh, this guy sounds visionary almost. A new attitude has swept American politics. Candidates have discovered that it's easier to be elected by not offending anyone rather than by impressing voters. Politicians are rushing for the center, careful not to stick their necks out on issues. Most Democrats shy away from the word liberal like a horrid accusation. Republican presidential hopeful George W. Bush uses the centrist rhetoric of compassionate conservatism, while Pat Buchanan, once considered a mainstream Republican, has been driven off the ideological edge of the Republican Party. Just as film producers shoot different endings and let test audiences select the most pleasing, some candidates run test platforms through sample groups to see which is most likely to win before they speak out on major issues. I think he's talking about poll testing there. This disturbing trend reveals cynicism, a double-sided problem, which is perhaps the greatest threat to the continued success of the American political system. So I'm going to move forward a little bit. Here we go. 
Fortunately for the political process, there remain a number of committed individuals who are steadfast enough in their beliefs to run for office to benefit their fellow Americans. Such people are willing to eschew political and personal comfort and convenience because they believe they can make a difference. One outstanding and inspiring example of such integrity is the country's only independent congressman, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. Sanders' courage is evident in the first word he uses to describe himself, socialist. In a country where communism is still the dirtiest of ideologically dirty words, in a climate where even liberalism is considered radical and socialism is immediately and perhaps willfully confused with communism, a politician dares to call himself a socialist? He does indeed. Here is someone who has looked into his own soul and expressed an ideology, the endorsement of which in today's political atmosphere is analogous, analogous to a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Even though he has lived through a time in which an admitted socialist could not act in a film, let alone hold a congressional seat, Sanders is not afraid to be candid about his political persuasion. After numerous political defeats in his traditionally Republican state, Sanders won the office of mayor in Burlington by 10 votes. Skipping around. While impressive, Sanders' candor does not itself represent political courage. The nation is teeming with outspoken radicals in one form or other. Most are sooner called crazy than courageous. It is the second half of Sanders' political role that puts the first half into perspective. He is a powerful force for conciliation and bipartisanship on Capitol Hill. In Profiles and Courage, John F. Kennedy wrote that we should not be too hasty in condemning all compromise as bad morals. For politics and legislation are, ma are, matters, are not matters for inflexible principles or unattainable ideals. It may seem strange that someone so steadfast in his principles has a reputation as a peacemaker between divided forces in Washington, but this is what makes Sanders truly remarkable. He represents President Kennedy's ideals of compromise of issues, not of principles. Sanders has used his unique position as a lone independent to help Democrats and Republicans force hearings on the internal structure of the International Monetary Fund, which he sees as excessive, powerful, and unaccountable. He also succeeded in quietly persuading reluctant Republicans and President Clinton to ban the import of products made by underage workers. Sanders drew some criticism from the far left when he chose to grudgingly endorse President Clinton's bids for election and re-election as president. Sanders explained that while he disagreed with many of Clinton's centrist policies, he felt that he was the best option for America's working class. Man, this guy was an admirer of that commie socialist Bernie. Sanders' Potts positions on many difficult ideas are commendable, but his real impact has been as a reaction to the cynical climate which threatens the effectiveness of the democratic system. His energy, candor, conviction, and ability to bring people together stand against the current of opportunism, opportunism, moral compromise, and partisanship which runs rampant on the American political scene. Above all, I commend Bernie Sanders for giving me an answer to those who say American young people see politics as a cesspool of corruption beyond redemption. I have heard that no sensible young person today would want to give his or her life to public service. I could personally assure you this is untrue. First of all, I have no idea why Bernie Sanders' campaign is not thanking Pete Buttigieg for his endorsement. Why has Bernie Sanders' campaign not brought this up? He better bring it up in the next debate. He better. Bernie, what are you doing? What's kind of remarkable to me 
is Pete Buttigieg, 20 years ago, like a lot of politicians who were in high school at one time, Pete Buttigieg seemed to have some vision. Pete Buttigieg seemed to think a little bit outside of the establishment corporate box. Pete Buttigieg respected and admired somebody like Bernie Sanders, who had some principles, stood for the working man, but still could broker some bipartisan support. Remember, although the media says he's never done anything, Bernie Sanders is the amendment king. He's gotten more amendments than anyone through. Bernie Sanders is the one that got the War Powers Act with the help of uh, Congressman Ro Khanna, uh, enacted for the first time in American history to stop America from helping Saudi Arabia commit genocide in Yemen. Bernie Sanders, not even through the Senate, just by his movement and sheer force, by the way, when he had a bad heart, got the richest man in the world, Jeff Bezos, to pay his workers, I don't think $15 is enough, but at least $15 an hour. So, okay, he's in high school, you figure he goes to college, I don't know what the years were, but sometime between 2001 and 2005, he's in college. Okay. Leaves college, goes to work for McKinsey, private, vulture, capitalist country, uh, company, all the consultants in the world, uh, from, you know, people go from to Harvard, Stanford, Yale, all of these universities, and they, they're, they're spit out, and they go to McKinsey, in addition to other terrible places. And what does McKinsey do? It consults brutal dictators from other countries, military uh, operations, uh, you know, chemical companies that poison you and your loved ones. This is what they do. Let's move to year 2010. And Jen found this, so props to her. Pete Buttigieg is running for treasurer of Indiana in 2010. A decade after he's a high schooler, he's running for office, baby. And the person who dreamed big loved Bernie Sanders a decade later. Seems like he's staying consistent. Treasurer candidate says no to bank donations. The likely Democratic nominee for state treasurer says he won't accept campaign donations from bank political action committees. Pete Buttigieg said Wednesday it is a conflict of interest for the state's chief investment officer to take campaign donations from bank packs since the treasurer decides which banks hold the state's money. I couldn't agree more with Pete Buttigieg, year 2010. Quote, Hoosier should never have to wonder whether decisions made in the treasurer's office about where to place their money are affected by campaign contributions. And when I am state treasurer, they won't. Buttigieg said, the treasurer manages more than $7 billion in state assets and investments. Besides refusing donations from bank packs, Buttigieg said he will only accept donations made by bank employees up to $2,300, the maximum individual donation allowed in a federal race. If elected, he said he will work with state legislators to enact a ban on donations by bank packs to future treasurer candidates. Quote, If a bank gives money and then gets state business, it could create the appearance of a pay-to-play situation, he said. Until we could pass this long-overdue reform, I am going to lead by example and hold myself to this standard. And I invite my opponents to do the same. 
So, I got news to you. The Pete Buttigieg, year 2000, and let me put this in the super chat so you guys can be smart and be breaking the news yourself. Pass this around like a doobie on social media. Less than a decade ago, Pete Buttigieg was against corruption in politics. Pete Buttigieg, less than a year, less than a decade ago, was against pay for play. Pete Buttigieg, less than a decade ago, was against super PAC donations, against the lobbyists, against even the appearance of conflict of interest. I, I hail, I hail Pete Buttigieg. Year 2000, the original Bernie bro. Pete Buttigieg was the original Bernie bro. A decade later, I don't want your money, the bank's trying to buy me off in Indiana. I mean, give it up. (laughs) Give it up. So, something happened. Maybe maybe the water in, in Indiana changed. He lost. He didn't become state treasurer. Jen, check me on that. I think he lost. I think he lost. I don't think he won that state treasurer's waste. But then, two years later, he becomes mayor of little old South Bend, Indiana. And it seems that, and again, it's very rare that you could slowly but methodically show the evolution, or as the headline of this video says, a tale of dwindling integrity. This is a tale of dwindling integrity. You go from being a Bernie bro in the year 2000, you go in 2010 to having a little bit of integrity, till you got... The CIA got to him. <laughs> I love it. So then you have, uh, and this is going around Twitter uh, today. I, I, it's not new, but he's mayor. And right after the Eric Garner murder, where police assassinated uh, African-American Eric Garner, the uh, South Bend Police Department, you know, they, they thought it would be, uh, you know, good fashion for the winter to make... Breathe easy, don't break the law, shirts. Pete Buttigieg was the mayor at this time. Eh, Just breathe easy. This whole I can't breathe thing, you'll be able to breathe fine. Just don't break the law. Well, the South Bend Common Council members are asking the Mishawaka police officer, Jason Barthel, Stop selling t-shirts with the message, breathe easy, don't break the law, in response to protests over the death of Eric Garner. Unfortunately, the divisive message, that being currently promoted through the sale of t-shirts bearing this message, damages the goal of unity and further demides our community, Oliver Davis said. The message also puts our trusted and brave officers in harm's way. Well, what did the mayor have to say about this? Mayor Buttigieg, for his part, avoided taking sides. Wow. Quote, as residents exercise their free speech rights, it is important to be respectful of other concerns, he said in a statement. The sensitive issue now being discussed across America deserves to be taken seriously, and we are a community, and we as a community have lots of work to do in addressing them here. We cannot rest until all residents and all public safety officers view each other in an authentic spirit of mutual trust and respect. Now, granted, this is not necessarily 
the beginning of his... Well, I'm sure he already evolved on money and politics. But this is a little different than, you know, not banning banning bank donations from PACs. This is more on a, on a right first wrong issue. But the Bernie bro from 14 years before that, the Bernie bro, Pete Buttigieg, 14 years ago, 14 years before that, would have said, how dare they wear these? This is divisive. This is offensive. But somehow Mayor Pete, when a black man was executed on live video in New York, said his police department, eh, eh, I'm neither here or there on the issue. What's amazing to me, and I wish if only, if only to be just a fly on the wall, I'm, I'm trying to like just guess which year did he turn? Because in 2010, he was still talking the talk. He was still walking the walk. I'm not taking this dirty money. Then he becomes mayor, I think in 2012. And pretty much, pretty soon after that, yeah, if the police want to, you know, do offensive uh, shirts glorifying the executions of black citizens. Oh, well, we should have a conversation about that. Then, as mayor, starts gentrifying the entire city of South Bend. Now, South Bend is not Chicago. It's not the size of Chicago, but, I mean, hundred over 100,000 people in this city. But, Mayor Pete starts selling the city to developers, starts selling the cities to the wealthy, starts gentrifying the holy hell out of this city. All of a sudden, according to people I've spoken with that live in South Bend, homelessness starts going up. People can't afford their rents because the, the rents keep going up in little old South Bend. While the mayor, Pete, all of a sudden, there's talk that he might run for governor. People stop seeing him in South Bend. He's going around trying to be DNC chair. He loses that. And after he loses DNC chair, all of a sudden, he's going to have meetings in Manhattan and Silicon Valley to build his network of support. And the evolution of Pete Buttigieg, we find ourselves almost 20 years after that Bernie bro wrote that wonderful high school essay extolling the virtues of Bernie Sanders, extolling the virtues of somebody who actually listens to the population, somebody who actually is representing the proletariat, somebody who is actually not less divisive, somebody who is not uh, just putting out poll-tested crap, somebody who actually has a little conviction. Nearly 20 years after Pete Buttigieg wrote those powerful words, we get this. Open to having a conversation about opening your fundraisers, and that's a question that reporters have been asking for months now. So I'm wondering, when do you expect to be to actually have that conversation and give like an answer on that? Uh, again, I don't have a timeline for you. Well, as, as the candidate, can't you just direct your campaign to open those fundraisers? What's it? As the candidate, can't you just direct your campaign to open those Yes. And why haven't you done so? What's that? Why haven't you done so? Uh, there are a lot of considerations, and I'm thinking about it. Last question. Can you give us an example of those considerations? No. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. What's amazing to me, if 
before we get into how spineless and full of shit he is, you know, everyone's very focused on Bernie Sanders' heart. Does, is anyone going to focus on? Apparently, Mayor Pete has a has a health, has a hearing problem. Mayor Pete apparently has a hearing problem. If you ask him a question about his corruption, he can't hear you. If you ask him a question about why are you not being transparent, he can't hear. Wait, what's that? What's that? You ask why I'm full of shit? What's that? You ask why I won't allow you in to show the caviar and champagne flowing at my private fundraisers? What's that? Not only can he not hear questions, he just doesn't hear you when you're asking him, why are you, why are you corrupt? But he says very simply, yeah, I could let press in. Has nothing to do. Has nothing to do with my campaign ads. Uh, I could let whoever I want in. Press? Yeah, sure. Yeah, we're talking about it. We're, you know, it's, it's a debate. It's open to consideration. What are the considerations? Can, can you tell us what those considerations are? Uh, I gotta, I gotta ask my donors. I gotta get their permission before I can speak on that. I mean, listen, Joe Biden is corrupt. Joe Biden is casual with that corruption. He doesn't care. He's proud of it. But you gotta be honest and give the man credit. He's comfortable in his corrupt skin. Joe Biden, credit to him has allowed the press into his swanky fundraisers. That's how we know Joe Biden has been telling Wall Street bankers, your standard of living isn't going to change one iota under me. That's how we know. That's how we know that he's begging, basically bending over for rich people all over this country. He's doing more fundraisers than actual speeches and events. We know that because he's allowing the press in. Because Joe Biden's mentality is, yeah, I'm corrupt. But let's just make America sane again and let's just have the corruption in the back room. Yeah, I'll let some reporters in and I'll, you know, let them quote me. But like, it's fine. Credit to him. At least we get to see corruption. At least we know this is what he's promising these donors. Nothing. He's telling the donors, nothing's going to change. Let's just get Trump out and we will get back to our first class, uh, our first class tickets in this wonderful, wonderful reclining seat theater that is the United Corporations of America. Pete Buttigieg, he don't want to do that. Why is that? Because Pete Buttigieg at his fundraisers, is probably having a lot more one-on-one conversations with these Wall Street fat cats that he doesn't have the 20 to 30 year relationship with that Joe Biden does. Joe Biden doesn't have to go for little breakout sessions to beg for extra money from the fund from the donors at his fundraisers because he's been begging for their money for 20 to 30 years. He's got the institutional begging down pat. Pete For a lot of these fundraisers he's having, he's meeting these people for the first time. So not only does he have to do group groveling, not only does he have to do group begging, but I would bet my bottom, last bottom dollar that he has to, after he gives his speech on the next generation, he has to then go and have little one-on-one wine and cheese sessions with, imagine, these old 
women or men, you know, with their fur jackets and their little chihuahua used as an accessory. I promise you that's what's going on at these fundraisers. You think he's going to let people in to see that? I also want to play uh, a little clip uh, from my trip and my uh, my reporting at this protest because there was uh, I, I, I covered some speeches too, and there was a really really passionate speech uh, that I want you guys to see. There is one man in this country who, perhaps more than any other, told us the truth about the Afghan war, about the Iraq war, and about the American military machine. That man is the publisher of WikiLeaks, Julian Assange, and he is currently a political prisoner in this country, held in the Belmarsh High Security Prison on no charge whatsoever in this country simply on the say-so of Donald Trump, who wants him extradited to the United States, where he could face 175 years in jail, simply for telling us the truth about the wars of the American state. And it is part of the duty of any movement in this country to demand that he be set free. He will never see a jury trial in this country. His extradition trial next February has been moved to Belmarsh Prison, where there will barely be any public allowed to see the trial. This is a secret, no jury trial. It is an offense against democracy and against equity and against justice. So raise your voices to stop the extradition of Julian Assange and think, this to yourself. There is one man, one man who is being fated by this government who should be in jail and there is one man who is in jail who should be free. Thank you very much. So that was, uh, sorry I forgot his name, I'll get that for you, but that was um, a British activist and leader who is speaking the truth. Julian Assange is the number one political prisoner in the world right now, uh, at least in terms of impact, uh, possibly of this decade. Uh, we are closing down the decade of the 2010s, and he is growing in graver and graver health condition as uh, the weeks go on. This is from the New York Times uh, at the end of November. Julian Assange could die in a UK jail doctors warned. This is from 60 physicians who signed a letter. The mental and physical condition of Julian Assange has so deteriorated that he could die in a British jail. Before his February hearing on extradition to the U.S., a group of international doctors has warned in an open letter to Britain's Home Secretary, more than 60 doctors called for Mr. Assange, the 48-year-old founder of WikiLeaks, to be transferred from the high-security Belmarsh Prison in London to a university teaching hospital to receive an expert medical assessment. Quote, we are where such urgent assessment uh, and treatment not to take place. We have real concerns on the evidence currently available that Mr. Assange could die in prison. The medical situation is thereby urgent. There is no time to lose. 
Their assessment is based on witness accounts from an October hearing at Westminster Magistrates Court in which Mr. Assange was described as, quote, exhibiting the symptoms of a torture victim. The analysis was corroborated this month by Nils Melzer, the United Nations Special Rapporteur on Torture, who wrote a report about Mr. Assange's health, warning that life, his life was at risk. Quote, what we have seen from the UK government is outright contempt for Mr. Assange's rights and integrity, Mr. Mauser wrote. Quote, despite the medical urgency of my appeal and the seriousness of the alleged violations, the UK has not undertaken any measures of investigation, prevention, and redress required under international law. The doctor's letter describes how, over the years, Assange was threatened with arrest if he left the Ecuadorian embassy in London to seek treatment for a series of ailments, including a cracked molar and shoulder stiffness. In 2015, a trauma and psychological expert who assessed Assange's conditions at the embassy concluded that he was suffering from moderately severe depression. I'd be fucking depressed. This is an outrage of possibly unprecedented proportions in journalism. And yes, Julian Assange is a journalist. Julian Assange is more of a journalist than 99.9% of the crap people pretending to be journalists in this country. I don't care if you love Julian Assange. I don't care if you don't like Julian Assange. I don't care about any of that. You could have disagreements with his methods. You could think he didn't do enough to protect the sources he revealed or whatever. The bottom line is, you have to look at the totality of a man or a woman. You have to look at the overall good versus bad. This man, without this man, the anti-war movement in this country and in this world might not be as big as it is right now. Without this man, the progressive movement in this country and around the world might not have as many people as it has today. He didn't just, WikiLeaks has not just exposed uh, war crimes. They have exposed financial crimes. They have exposed corruption of politicians. A lot of people's political awakening to get involved came as a result of Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. If you feel, let's just say for argument's sake, people said, you know what? We think he should be free. Uh, we, we, we think he should have a fair trial. We think he should, um, you know, we don't like everything he's done and we think he's put national security at jeopardy, whatever. Despite that, he should be out on bail. He is not being held on any specific charges right now in the UK. His sentence in the UK was up, I believe, in September. The judge decided to hold him there anyway, citing a flight risk. Yes, the most surveilled human possibly in history of the world is a flight risk. Julian Assange couldn't, could not go to the bathroom without somebody knowing. I haven't seen him, but reports show that he is frighteningly 
bone thin. Reports say he has trouble articulating full sentences. Depression? I'd be catatonic in his situation. And make no mistake about it, the UK is keeping them there because Boris Johnson wants to remain in Trump's bosom. That's why the UK, and before Boris Johnson, it was Theresa May. They don't want to piss off the deep state here. Great Britain, along with much of Europe, is butt buddies with the deep state here. It's not good for actual journalists. I'm not talking about the people at CNN or the Washington Post. I'm talking about for real journalists like Max Blumenthal, Aaron Maté, Ben Norton, myself, Jen, Unicorn Riot, um, people that are like in the trenches, out in the field, reporting, putting their uh, lives on the line. Ben Norton has reported in some seriously, seriously dangerous areas. So is Max. So is Aaron. Not to take away from the Jimmy Doors of the world or Kyle or people that, you know, aren't as much in the trenches. Glenn Greenwald, thank you. If they're able to basically torture to death uh, the most prominent, impactful whistleblower slash journalist, possibly in journalistic history, you don't think they could do it to all other actual journalists on a lower level? I mean, we got to walk and chew gum at the same time. We got to keep the pressure on and protest for health care, protest for black lives, protest for college, protest against the climate catastrophe. Uh, Rania, Abby Martin, too. Thank you, Jen. But I hope people start getting out on the streets for Julian Assange in the UK and here. Or else, right now, this is just going to be rubber stamped. He's not having a fair trial, folks. They're going to put him in a solitary confinement and he's going to die. He's 48. I'm just keeping it real. If things go the way they do, be lucky to have five more years on this planet. In America, we have a toxic, toxic problem when it comes to water. We also have a Toxic problem with corporations allowed to dump toxic shit from uranium to toxic waste from the Manhattan Project days all over this country. You have landfills, nuclear waste sites, um, uranium mining where nothing is really properly sealed. Stuff is being emitted into the air. Stuff is being emitted into the water. I I remember when I was at the Young Turks, I was in uh, the St. Louis area covering uh, a community that has a nuclear waste site right next to a landfill, and there is an underground methane fire, (laughs) and literally children have to walk around with masks to play in the yard. No, no, no. This is not Taiwan. This is not third world countries. This is in St. Louis. Uh, What was it? The Bridgeton Landfill. I had to wear a mask at this new at this landfill. So what's amazing to me? Look at this. If you live in Detroit, I hope you know about this. Potential uranium spill in Detroit River alarms residents and environmental groups. 
Detroit residents and environmental groups are outraged over the handling of a potential uranium spill from a long-contaminated riverbank that collapsed into the Detroit River two days before Thanksgiving. The public was unaware of the potential contamination until the Windsor Star in Canada revealed what had happened. Nine days after the collapse of the riverfront storage site in Detroit, the city of Detroit has drinking water intake lines near the collapsed site. You literally have Canada reporting on this. Not American politicians, not American environmental officials, not America um, media, Canada. Quote, how in the world is it possible that we were hearing from Canadian news networks days late at that before we are hearing from our own authorities in charge of protecting us? Sierra Club uh, organizer Justin Anwenu said. This took place days ago and we just found out yesterday. Michiganders deserve emergency response systems in place that will assure communities that public health and safety is adequately protected. On Thursday, a member of the Canadian Parliament called for the U.S. and Canadian governments to investigate, noting the the site once had radioactive contamination. For decades, the U.S. Department of Environmental Protection listed the site as contaminated because of uranium and other dangerous chemicals stored at the site next to historic Fort Wayne and leased by Detroit bulk storage. Mass is worried the collapse could have contaminated the Detroit River and connecting waterways. Quote, an immediate study should be conducted immediately on both sides of the border. It was not entirely clear why the riverbank collapsed. Detroit bulk storage said it was not at fault and blamed the collapse on high waters and heavy rain. State Senator Stephanie Chang said in a series of tweets, she's there addressing the collapse. We will continue monitoring, blah, 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 blah. And then uh, the, the uh, local Detroit press, as they often do, literally regurgitated what the state environmental um, department said without investigating it themselves. So here's the Detroit Free Press. No excessive radiation levels were detected in and along the Detroit River following a shoreline collapse at a bulk storage site that once housed atomic bomb and uranium development in the 1940s and 50s, state regulators said Friday. The Michigan Department of Environment, Great Lakes and Energy, which, by the way, the Michigan Department of Environment, Great Lakes and Energy is literally the same environmental agency just They changed the name. This is the same agency that Jen and I found were literally cooking the water lead data in Flint, Michigan. You remember the news we broke last year? That the Michigan Department of Environmental Quality, now renamed what I just read to you, was literally going into people's homes in Flint that were on the official state lead and copper testing program. This is the testing that Governor, then Governor Rick Snyder, used as a, you know, Flint's version of Mission Impossible, uh, Mission Accomplished, excuse me. This is the environmental agency that went into people's homes that were on the official testing program, and they literally were flushing their water lines right before putting the sample bottles in. This is the same environmental agency that Jen and I, you know, before we found that they were cooking the numbers, they were cooking the numbers in 2015 too, when the Flint water crisis happened in the first, well, it happened in 2014, but when it was exposed in the first place, they were fudging the numbers too. 
they were fudging the numbers back in 2008. News reports show they were, quote, bumping out high lead tests in Detroit. They were tossing out the high tests so that they could get the overall lead numbers down so they wouldn't be, that they wouldn't have any violations with the EPA. So this is the environmental department we're supposed to believe that, oh yeah, a bunch of uranium and nuclear waste from the 1940s and 50s, yeah, it just fell in the Detroit River, but we tested it and it's fine. Listen, I'm not trying to fear monger, but this ain't my first rodeo. It ain't Jen's first rodeo. We've covered these stories. I've covered these stories for years. I don't trust these environmental departments. There needs to be independent, not EPA funded, not state funded, independent testing from the homes in Flint to the homes in East Chicago, Indiana, to the homes in Milwaukee, Pittsburgh, uh, North Carolina, um, Massachusetts. I mean, there's water problems all over the country, but it ain't just the water now. You got uranium leaking out. You got arsenic leaking out. And it's leaking out into the air, the water. I don't want to scare you if you live in this region. I don't want to scare you if you get your water from a, a waterway connected. But I find it extremely hard to believe that you have this bank that fell into the Detroit River and the Michigan Department of Environment, Great Lakes and Energy, which is just rebranded, it was the Michigan Department of Environmental Quality, which has a history of cooking numbers. Oh, they tested it, and it's fine. Background radiation levels at the site farthest away from the river were at 4 microentgen per hour. Naturally occurring radiation levels in Michigan are typically between 5 and 8. Testing closer to the water, including tests from inside the crevices, opened by the sediment collapse, ranged between three and five. More than 1,000 data points were recorded during this testing. Well, if this is the case, why was it, why was it revealed by Canadian authorities and media? This is a risk all over the country because there is nuclear waste from the Manhattan Project days all over the country stored from Massachusetts to St. Louis to California. It's nuclear waste, it's uranium, it's arsenic. And all sorts of other things. You probably have no idea what's near you and your kids. And it's supposed to be properly sealed. But it's not. 